Uh, and in the Hebrew mind, salvation uh, was very political. It was salvation from the Romans, salvation from the corrupt king uh, who was ruling them, salvation from pestilence uh, and, and, and war and all that stuff. But the core of salvation, Africa shall be saved. The core of salvation, Jesus says, which he celebrates, is salvation from the wrath of God which is coming on this world. That's the core of salvation. Africa shall be saved. I'm going to ask uh, Jane to come forward and uh, share some popcorn testimonies which have a significance in what I'm going to say. These are stories. You know, Sir Repta does stories. Uh, and it's very relevant for Mother's Day. I've titled these stories Breakthrough, The Supernatural into the Natural. The first two stories are to do with the written word in the form of the daily light on the daily path, a devotional textbook in the words of scripture for everyday life of the year. My daily light is inscribed Emma Mary, who is my great-grandmother, I think. Um, so it's very old, and I use it fairly daily. Um, and Jonathan's sword is inscribed Feodora Balcom, which is my mother. So we have my mother, Mother's Day, and my great-grandmother, a daily light, which we use daily. There's my mother's writing and everything. And all your lot of birthdays in here, my mother put down, of people here. Um, we use our swords very differently because we are. Jonathan reads the reading for the day, morning and evening. I read mine like a game of Russian roulette. So what I do is, is, is uh, I shuffle it like a pack of cards. You know, I go, ch -ch -ch -ch, making quite sure it doesn't sort of break open in the same place every time. You know, I sort of shuffle through it. Uh, I'm tutting my chance. In, in that way, I, I believe uh, the Holy Spirit uh, has a better chance to blow where he listeth. So I depend on the Holy Spirit to come up with a word, which is not how I recommend you do it. I, I recommend you do it like Jonathan. But we are different. You better believe it. So story number one. Story number one. Just to add that God has given us a heritage of those who love your word. What a privilege I have got. What a heritage. Our daily lights have been walked through by our loved ones ahead of us on the way. We are going to join them, and they are cheering us on. So story number one. Jonathan has a wobbly. We put it down to him carrying heavy water bottles, um, which I collect um, distilled water. Very heavy water bottles. He decided, you know, I don't know what he decided. That um, he could carry these very heavy water bottles up our steps. 
Well, about 18 hours later, I think he had an angina attack in the middle of the night. It was very scary. So I run to my sword, and I shuffle it, and I say, Lord, speak to me. Speak to me, Lord, speak to me. A new heart I will put within you. Hit my eyes. And a new spirit I will give you. Okay, Lord, I'll accept that one. But I did read on a little bit, and a little bit on it said, if you will walk humbly with your God. So I said, thank you, Jesus. And by the way, was that proviso really necessary? And he said, yes. Okay, I said, just as you say. So I turn over and go to sleep. Next day, Andrew Carr comes to tea and says, I don't think I have ever seen you look so good, Jonathan. A new spirit I will put within you. And a new heart. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, Savior, Son of God, friend who lives within me. I in him and he in me and he in God and God in me. And it's all we in each other. So he can never, never leave me or forsake me. It's impossible, you know, for God to leave me, for Jesus to leave me. We are all good. I'm glad my things are open. I've got something underneath it. <laughs> um, so first of all, you know, before I got the word from the Lord, from this, 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 my sword, from the word, Satan always gets in first. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Correct? Correct? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Satan immediately gets on the, the cell phone, and he says to me very loudly, you're alone. You're alone. But then I read the word, and I'm not alone. I am never alone. None of us are ever alone. So Jonathan has a, a wobbly. I've done that. Um, if you thank you, Jesus, new spirit, I've done that. Story number two, a cold war has blown up between mother and daughter. Mother's Day, this does happen. Over our very much loved son and grandson. Things have been said which have caused much pain and anger and much regret and soul searching. No answer to all my many phone calls, blocked, blocked. I just get that strange woman's voice, you know, the one who says, um, uh, not available just now, please call again later, except she's still on the phone when I call again later, and she's still on the phone when I call again later. That strange woman who says, not available, please ring again later. And I get no answer. Lord Jesus, I'm home alone, Satan says to me. Nothing more painful than a mother-daughter split. There's nothing more painful than unanswered cell phones. Um, so <laughs> she still hasn't actually contacted me. But we are going down. Not personally. We are going down this, this week uh, for two days. So you could pray if you want to for mother and daughter relationship. That would be very nice. The Palestinians and the Jews have actually reconnected. <laughs> So you are not alone, Jesus says. Speak, Lord, your servant heareth. I put up the sword of the flesh. Put up the sword of the flesh. Be careful of this, all this onward Christian soldiers, that we don't spill over to the flesh, all right? Just a little warning. Put up the sword of the flesh. Those who 
draw the sword, will die by the sword. And I go to the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I crack open the daily duck, I give it a good shake, shuffle the pack, open it. First thing my eyes fall on, the battle is mine. I shut it and go to sleep. Painfully slowly, it's getting resolved. We're going down, okay. Could enlist your prayer. Story number three. I am, like all of you, most impressed with the young people from Bethel who come out with powerful testimonies of healing, witness, and cross-cultural communication. Lord, I could do with some of that, couldn't you? Okay, Lord, me too. So... I'm walking the dogs round the block as usual. The litter on the path causes me to lose my fellowship with my God. I curse. Once again, the litter and the person who carelessly dropped it. Hey, God says, hey, winner. Have I not told you, you who walk humbly with your God, I have given you... All that same Holy Spirit power that the young Americans came and witnessed to. So use it now. Yes, sir. So as I pick up the paper and put it in a bag, each wrapper I bless out loud a personal blessing on each one who has dropped that litter. Blessing, not cursing. What a different way to live. All those many people walking around being blessed instead of cursed. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Oh, thank you, Mary Ellen. Story number four, the last. My beloved is worried by a strange extraction of 500 rand from our bank account. It's, it's Kyle Army has taken 500. Anybody here, Kyle Army, taken 500 rand? And many hours on the phone and bank trying to get to the bottom of it. In the process, he extracts my bank card from my purse to get the number. Okay. Uh, But he shows it to me later, and he says, Jane, I am putting your card back in your purse. Okay, Jonathan. Okay, Jane. Correct. All right? The the card is back in my bag. It happens to be in my card because she can't remember the code for her card. He's got an easy number, so I've taken his. So I'm at the checkout point of the till. A basket of groceries have been rung up and packaged, and I reach into my bag. I start the card shuffle game. You know the card shuffle game? Woolworths, smart card, driving license, uh, game, macro, uh, nursery, panic, panic, panic. Uh, uh, Start again, you know, macro, Woolworths, uh, 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 panic. I've lost it! Sorry, cancel the transaction. I must go to where I last had it. Where? When? How? I jump in the car, visions of bank account being emptied. Panic. I drive to Kloof, to the video shop. That is where the last time I used my card, I obviously picked up the videos, didn't I, and left the card on the, on the, on the counter. 
So um, the Hillcrest Kloof run has never seemed so long. As I come around the corner into the Kloof Spa Center, I remember I am what? Never alone. So Jonathan is deep inside the bowels of the gym in the steam bath. I envision myself breaking into the steam bath and shouting through the alarmed nude men, Jonathan, I can't fight my card! <laughs> I am never alone. I say aloud, Jesus, help me. Find A, my card, and B, my husband. I swoop up the back of the bank, you know, up there, and there's a video shop there, and the bank's there. I swoop up. Okay, dash, there's a car that's taken my parking place. You know, you always swear at the person who's taking your parking place. You bless them now. <laughs> but I look up, and there's another parking place. So I swoop into that parking place. I park. I put on my brakes and everything. I look up, and there's Jonathan in the parking lot right next to me. <laughs> He's not in the gym. Well, the Lord must have pulled him out of the gym and shoved him in the oh, car. Doing there. the crossword. The <laughs> yes, he's doing the telegraph, doing the crossword of the telegraph. And he's greenness and looking as cool as a cucumber. He says, oh, I'm sorry. I took your card out for the second time and I didn't put it back. <laughs> I was so relieved... It was his fault. That's the blame game. Don't do the blame game, and not mine. And the amazingly fast answer to my hurried cry for help. I forgot to kill him. <laughs> Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. You can clap. Te we are allowed to clap testimonies. That's in the book. That was a ministry, a ministry unto the Lord, not a concert. Unto <laughs> a ministry unto the Lord. I'm not performing. You might think I am performing. Judith and I perform a bit, and Amanda. <laughs> The value of those stories is a reminder of what Jesus says to us, that God knows when a sparrow falls. And the hairs are our head on number, not just a challenge for some of us, but for others. He knows about the detail. He's involved in, in all these things. I want to read from Eugene Peterson, which reflects in a measure in, in terms of what we've heard. Hidden kingdom energies surge just beneath the surface all around us, all the time. Huge subterranean rivers of prayer, faith and obedience and praise Intercession and forgiveness and deliverance, holiness and grace. These are hidden subterranean energies surging around us. Subterranean, just under the surface. 
flow freely underground. And in virtually every nook and cranny on earth, obscure in the shadows, overlooked in the crowds, are the infants. These are the babes and infants that God has always used as a bulwark to still the enemy and the avenger. Psalm 8.2. And Peterson is pointing out that the Lord works invisibly all the time and every now and then breaks out in a manifestation of presence and power. As uh, Gerald Coates said, uh, he's doing more behind our backs than in front of our faces. And, and we were reminded uh, in our ministry team uh, when we were commenting, well, sometimes we gather and things happen, and sometimes we gather and things don't happen. That, that we were corrected. Things always happen. Things are happening all the time. And some of the time we see what's happening. Now, in Trevor Wood's newsletter, which I recommend to you, he reminds us we are all on a journey to reality, which takes us beyond the reach of rational and scientific evidence, but both of which are essential components of that reality nonetheless. He quotes a famous philosopher who says, the world is rich in delusion. So, may we do a bit of revision. I'm going to be 80 uh, this year. In reality, when may I say, I may die? Well done. Let's have that one up. Uh, Yanda, please. Uh, uh, did we do number one? Uh, and, and now we're going to have uh, John 5.24. Those who believe in Jesus have already crossed over. That's a reality to God. I'm not saying that it's a reality to my awareness or senses, but it's a reality of, to God. And as we read the scriptures, we are entering into God's worldview which may not concur with our understanding of our sense evidence. Very often contradicts it. And so the decision, as Alan is always saying, are we going to live out of God's worldview or out of that perspective which is dictated by my senses? This journey to reality is a journey of discovery. And the senior scientist in the Hedron Collider in Switzerland, you know, the particle thing. And he's a, a, a top scientist, top world scientist. He says this. All scientific theory explains 5% of the world and universe in which we exist. All scientific theory. 
Now, I, I, I was told that science was proving everything and God, the God of the gaps was getting thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner and science was explained away, the need for God. Well, the top scientists here are saying, no, God's getting fatter, the God of the gaps. That's a true scientific perspective. It's a challenge to us that 2,000 years of Christian theology has still only reached the shallows of the depth of what is revealed in this world and particularly what is revealed in that cross. The word, yes. Science has journeyed from Isaac Newton through Einstein and Niels Bohr to quantum mechanics and is still in the shadows. So is the church and the word of God still in the shadows. May we never think we've read it all before. The universal feature of reality is balance. Science can still not explain what causes the infinitely finely tuned balance between the expanding universe and the gravitational pull. And we are told that if that precise balance was changed by a fraction of 1 over 10 to the power of 55, that's a fraction of 1 over 10 with 55 noughts, that's a very small fraction, an alteration of that tiny magnitude or diminitude, whatever it is, means we would not be here because either... Either we'd be vaporized or we have the big crunch in the universe. And science cannot explain, A, what caused that to be so precise and what sustains it scientifically? PowerPoint 3, I think. Climate, economic, social stability, the environment, physical and mental health, and disciplines such as engineering, aerodynamics, electronics, and chemistry all function most effectively when perfectly balanced. This also applies to the kingdom of God. Law and grace, spirit and body, the now and the not yet, revelation and rationality, the senses and faith are held in an ongoing tension best described as paradox. If we're going to be real, we need to realize that the Bible presents us with truth intention on the one hand and on the other hand. For example, the Trinity and the deity and the humanity of Jesus. There's plenty of grace in the Old Testament, as we shall see just now, and plenty of law in the New Testament. Time for more revision. What are the four laws specifically 
defined in the New Testament, shut up, Alan. The perfect law of shut up, Jane. <laughs> what? Well done. We, you're, we're way down the track uh, already. The perfect law of liberty. Let me stay there for a moment. We are free. It's setting me free. This Holy Ghost power is setting me free from what? Free from the tyranny. And? That's number four. <laughs> yeah. Can we stay with the law of liberty? I'm not doing the spirit of the law of life in Christ Jesus or another law we haven't mentioned yet. The law of liberty. Freedom from what? Hmm? Well done, lady. Freedom from hatred. That's excellent. Well done, Dorothy. It's freedom from the tyranny of our passions. Free from the tyranny of our emotional, uh, environmental pressures outside and inside. Freedom from our rages and prejudices and, uh, and demands and lusts. That's freedom. Freedom when it doesn't matter when everything's gone wrong. Freedom to bless those who cast litter around. That's the Holy Ghost freedom, the perfect law of liberty. And we've had the royal law of love, which means the law to love one's enemies. And, and, and then there's a, another law. The law, the law, which is a battle we've heard, the law which is not a fantasy or wishful thinking, the law of Romans 3, I think. We can put it up. Romans 8 verse... No, Romans 3 verse 27. It's the law of faith. And the law of faith is, is not what I would like to happen. The law of faith is a law which enables me, by a supernatural grace, to respond to a revelation in the Word of God. That's what faith is. Faith responds to revelation. Faith does not dictate to God as if he was a, a sort of Jeeves, you know, come here, go there. Faith says, I believe the word of God. And, and I move in response to that word. That's the law of faith. And it is a battle. And it's not wishful thinking. And, and it's not fantasy. And, and then we've had, as Anne has said, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. It's Romans verse 8 two. That is, supernormal attitudes, values, relationships, to be naturally minded is death. So the law of the spirit brings us into a totally different, as, as Malcolm Hedding would say, supernormal mindset. It's different. It's ridiculous. It, it, it is all encapsulated in what Jane says, blessing the litter bugs. It's back to front. It's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And they set us free. And, and, and Romans 8 is, is very threatening that when we think normally, rationally, intelligently, humanly, it's death. So we have 
We are renewed in mind to think the mind of God. The next principle we learn in our journey to reality is that of process. Nothing in the universe is static. The universe is expanding. Creation was a process. PowerPoint 8, please. The redemption of humans is also a process, as is the redemption of the world. God is triune, and humans made in God's image are also triune, spirit, soul, and body. PowerPoint 9, please. First, our spirits are created perfect by rebirth and united with the Holy Spirit. PowerPoint 10, please. Then our souls, i.e. minds, emotions, and wills, are subject to lifelong translation. Our spirit has already been transposed and joined with God in heavenly places, far above principalities and powers, we are already perfect, holy, and eternal. As has been said, we've already passed over. We've been translated into a new kingdom. That's a spiritual reality of our inner being, but it's not true of our soul. There's a distinction between soul and spirit. The soul is where the problem is. The soul is mine. You know, I think, I like, I want, I hate. All right. Uh, The mind and the emotions and the will is the soul and we have to be renewed in the spirit of our mind and there's a process going on which will go on until the Lord comes or until we get free of this straitjacket and and move on and then it will all be perfect. And then, of course, uh, PowerPoint 11, 2 uh, Corinthians 3.18, that's transfer. Finally, our bodies will be glorified, PowerPoint 12. The pattern is seen in the life of Jesus, who was first born of woman and only 30 years later anointed for service. A process. Born as that holy thing shall be called the Son of God. Born as the Son of God, yet born a woman, human. But he didn't move into his service for another 30 years. So it's a process. Stuff is going on. God has not finished with me yet. My own journey has been a process. I was born naturally in 1935. Now, it's not my fault that the King of England promptly abdicated. Born again in 1964 and baptized in the Holy Spirit in 1967. My next excitement is liftoff. These medical people keep on trapping me in this body. To continue my personal testimony, if I may, I I do not attend public worship to encounter the Lord's presence. I don't come here to meet the Lord. Although I know that where two or three gather, there is an extra awareness of his anointing. Yes. But that's not where I come. I am instantly aware of the abiding presence of the Lord as soon as I wake up in the morning. Because as Jana said, he's there all the time, inside. And so throughout the day, the reason why I meet with the rest of the church and for worship is because that is the reason I've been placed on the planet. We are here to worship. We have been created for God's purpose, and that's to worship. So my inclination, mood, 
desire, preference, or convenience doesn't shape. This is a personal testimony, not a prescription for Not a matter of choice, but of destiny. I also come to meet with my brothers and sisters, as the Lord so desires, not necessarily because of inclination or convenience. The issue after a service of worship is not whether I enjoyed it or approved of the worship or ministry. That's irrelevant. But whether the Lord of hosts received a fragrant aroma from his Melchizedek priests. The issue this morning is, have we brought to the Lord that incense of aroma of devotion and love? That's what matters. Whether we give Judith a tick or the preacher a tick is neither here nor there. Whether I consider the service anointed or not is irrelevant. It is all unto the Lord and is not a concept to my entertainment. The worship team and all who contribute are priests, prophets, and pastors. Can we understand that? We are a community of priests, prophets, and pastors. And that includes everyone in the administrative staff, the people on the sandbox, the PowerPoint, the people who welcome at the door, people who put on the horn, are all ministers unto God's people as unto the Lord. Another purpose for my attendance is to pray. Uh, And at the end of this ministry, uh, there will be a hymn, and then the ministry team will come forward, and those with prayer will come forward, uh, ready to pray for anyone who needs a touch from the Lord in any dimension. And, and, And so I come here to be available to pray as may be directed and to receive such prayer as I may need. So it's not, uh, did I like the preacher or not? Congregational worship is a kingdom event involving spiritual warfare and proclaiming the lordship and glory in Jesus Christ, which is what we've been involved in uh, this morning. Nevertheless, invariably, I am blessed out of my socks and leave with a sense of enormous privilege, enrichment, and joy. Uh, and I've been around a bit in terms of the wider body of Christ, Uh, I am experiencing blessing here in a dimension and a richness and in in an inebriation unsurpassed in my experience. And I'm very grateful. But that's not why I'm here. Hopefully not anyhow. Incidentally, I've been reading the book of Numbers. And I'm terrified of complaining against the leadership. That does not mean they should not be confronted respectfully and regularly and called to account and encouraged. Now may we hear the word of God as found in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 1. A supernatural encounter. The angel meets the prophet and he says, what do you see? And, and, and the revelation of God is as much visual as audible. What do you see? What do you see? And, and the, the prophet said, 
uh, in verse 2, he said, I see a golden lampstand. Try and use your imagination here. Let this be a golden lampstand with, with, with seven lamps and, and on top a golden bowl dripping its oil into all the lamps. Do you see it? James said, what do you see? Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Can you see through, through the window of the invisible into the substantial reality? It is basic to God. PowerPoint 12, please, Ayanda. Verse 3. I also see two olive trees, one on either side of the lampstand. Moses and Elijah. Word and Spirit, Old Testament, New Testament, Passover, Pentecost, birth of Jesus. Christing at Jordan, regeneration, renewing in the Holy Spirit. Do you see the two olive trees? There are two Holy Spirit baptisms. Two. The two olive trees are two Holy Spirit baptisms. Oil is a symbol of the Spirit. The first is in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 13. We are all, when we're born again, baptized by the Holy Spirit into the Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit baptism. We are immersed into Jesus. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, that's rebirth, regeneration. And all born again Christians have the Spirit. All born again Christians can be filled with the Spirit. Rebirth, that's the first Holy Spirit baptism. And every Christian has, that, has been baptized by the Spirit into Jesus and we are a member his, of his body. We are holy priests unto God, a member of the royal family of heaven. The second occurs when Jesus baptizes unto the Holy Spirit. Jesus then turns back and he baptizes, he immerses us into the fullness of the Holy Spirit as represented by the Feast of Pentecost. It's interesting, on the Feast of Pentecost, the the law of Moses was written, and the significance there is only by the Spirit is it possible to walk in the law of God. 5.14, please. So in verse 4, the prophet says, What are these, my Lord? What are they? What are these two olive trees? And he says, the angel says, he's flabbergasted. He says, do you not know what they are? And the prophet, the prophet Ezekiel, prophet Zechariah, who in the revelation of the end times, he says, no, I don't. The angel's absolutely flabbergasted. Do you know? We're the prophet now. Yes, we do. 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 Verse 5. Verse 6. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, said the Lord. Can we understand this? It's not by intellectual might, it's not by political or ecclesiastical power, but it's by the spirit. The Christian church doesn't work on the resources of one olive tree, it's by my spirit. 
And for 2,000 years, well, for 1,900 years, the church has limped along. Drawing resources from only one olive tree. Except in tiny little exceptions here there which God kept flowing. And in 1900, a black man in Azusa Street in California came under the anointing of the Spirit. Sick and tired of religion and nominal Christianity. And tapped into the second olive tree. <laughs> and the Pentecostals were born. The full gustum, the four square elim, the assemblies of God. And the Pentecostal churches went across the world. And, and they brought revival and evangelistic and planted churches all over the world. Across all cultures. And then after World War II, the charismatic renewal of which we are the fruit here exploded without the permission of the Pentecostal churches which had gone into Gnostic legalism. The mountain of opposition will be flattened and the new temple of God will be completed with shouts of grace, grace. Grace in the Old Testament. And the picture is of the rebuilding of the church, the rebuilding of the temple of God. And it says that what he, Zerubbabel, the governor, the type of Jesus, what he laid the foundation and he will finish it. And so it says in Colossians or Philippians, whatever it is, one six, what he has begun, he will complete. And the capstone is that one at the top there. Which holds the arch together, take it away and the thing collapses. And Jesus is the foundation stone, the cornerstone, and the capstone. And it says, the building will be built precisely according to the plumb line. It's all in the chapter, read it. And the walls will be straight. Our house was built by someone who didn't use one of these. <laughs> it looked fine. But when Lionel Clarkson came to put in the, the built-in cupboards, he says, your wall not only does that, it also does that. Can't see it. It wasn't a plumstone. And the Lord is building according to his plumstone. If your life and mine doesn't measure up with the plumstone of God's word, we knock down and start again. It also says, Who has despised the day of small things? God is into quantum mechanics as well as cosmic magnitude. His seven eyes are focused on the precise details of our lives. The details matter. And, and, and when it's a little thing, when three people come to the Alpha Course, 
I, I, I've, had a, I've had a gift from God to be comfortable when no one rocks up, except for a few odds, and they're very odd. Who aspires to dare small thing? And, and whatever you're led to do, and nothing happens, don't believe it, lots is happening. God uses the little foolish non-events underneath his building an eternal work. I'm going to go over time just a wee bit. A prophet in two separate verses. Now he's got to the end of the story. He says, what are the olive trees? And he says it twice and the next verse as well. The third time he says, what are the olive trees? <laughs> we don't have to ask that, do we? We know what the olive trees are. The angel is apoplectic. And beloved, within the evangelical church, we've got our brothers and sisters who are still drawing on one olive tree. And they're a bit cerebral and they're wonderful Christians and they're steady as a rock. They're boring. They're boring. But they're true and solid and reliable and to the word, brother. What are these two olive trees? Now the passion of my heart is this. Unless we're overflowing in the spirit, this supernormal life of Jesus won't work. It's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Sets us free from the law of sin and death. And the, there was something happening in the beginning of our worship. We got crazy Judith and her team. It's wonderful stuff. And I mean, I saw Alec Hewitson. Wonderful. So the angel thunders the answer in verse 14. The two olive trees are the anointed ones who stand behind the Lord of the whole earth. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration. PowerPoint 16. Moses and Elijah were there at the Mount of Transfiguration awaiting for the manifestation of the kingdom. It's all consistent all the way through. These are the two anointed ones who stand on the side of the Lord of the whole earth. And what he has begun he will finish and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the Lord, the bridegroom coming for his bride and the Head of the church is coming for his people. And then he's coming back to bring judgment on the world. Fiery, bloody fury on those who have rejected the offering of the cross. Which drives us with the urgency of telling them the good news. So the two olive trees, they they represent the word and the spirit. It's a revelation of the triune God. All born again believers have the Holy Spirit within them and can be filled with that spirit. 
that it's not enough to be a fully effective disciple. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is the overflowing dynamic of unpredictable energy and action. It brings power to witness and causes a disturbance. An essential component is joy. Now may we close, uh, Judith, please. May we close by singing a prayer. And may we make this a prayer and not just sing a song. And at the end of the prayer, may the ministry team come forward and they will pray for We, we, we're going to have to have a council meeting. Peter's gone way over time. It's not good enough. All right. We're only going to, we're going to miss out verse four. Okay. I'm not going to sing because that would mean one I being there and one I being there. So, so the church is going to lead the singing. Yes. Well, what's the name of this hymn? Dear Lord and Father. Dear Lord and Father of mankind. Let's stand and make this a prayer. a touch from the Lord but ask all the ministry team and the prayer team to come forward thank you thank you uh, that's right and let's uh, be dismissed now to continue fellowship and those who wish a, uh, a touch from God in any dimension come forward and the Lord will meet with you